Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today as soon as I cue the show, which I didn't. So I need to run my zap to make sure that we get cued. Anyhow, we are going to have a great show for you today, folks. Um, as it turns out, there is a lot of interesting information, but let me start by doing a few what I do at first. Welcome, Michael Rodnin. Welcome, uh, let's see, uh, who else is here? AVQ, Wilhelmina Perry. Wilhelmina Perry, Deb Denny, welcome aboard. Hi. Uh, Wilhelmina Perry says, Manchin is from a red state and district. He has conflicts of interest, but he is what we fought in New York State. Dems who vote with reps. Now he has power, so he can be expected to use it. Something that we've talked a whole lot about. Da, let's see. Michael Radnan says, Global heating pushes tropical regions towards limits of human livability. Rising heat and humidity threaten to plunge much of the world's population into potentially lethal conditions. Study finds. Can you imagine a billion climate refugees? Can you imagine what a billion climate refugees will do to their neighbor countries as they either flee from the heat or die in droves? That's our near future. That is, I'm not going to continue reading that, but you guys can read the link that he has in the link. It is unavoidable. We must ban fossil fuels to save our planet. Here's how we do it. Our civilization has banned leaded gasoline and CFC refrigerants after they were determined harmful and innovations came around to replace them. We will do it again with fossil fuels as renewables replace them, and that is absolutely True. Uh, you can continue reading that as well. I want to touch on everything that he posted because he got some good stuff here. America's dirty divide. How environmental racism leaves the vulnerable behind. The health effects caused by decades of systemic racism are staggering. Environmental justice is topic discussed not nearly often enough. One of more pervasive forms of systemic racism is how pure, poor minority neighborhoods are so often placed adjacent to high pollution is that we, we've covered many stories like that including here in houston part that we call cancer alley and all these areas uh michael rudnan insightful with uh, with the stuff that you always bring uh last one on frozen minnesota lake political antagonism melts away you get better commentary take uh talking to any random young person about their problems than you would the multimillionaire talking heads on any network media station that is so true Democrats are putting that stimulus check and minimum wage hike on the back burner while they're dropping bombs in Syria, and those bombs are kind of expensive for a dude who owes me $2,000. <laughs> hey, but it's amazing, right? It's a problem to give somebody $1,400, but we can drop those 2000 I don't know what you're talking about, $2,000. Those bombs cost a hell of a lot more than $2,000. Uh, let's see who else is here. Nanette Bird-Smith, Egberto, uh, having a back and forth with a conservative thread uh, referencing the bankruptcy of the U.S. due to the deficit. Any good argument to provide? The United States of America cannot go bankrupt. We have a sovereign currency. Anybody who says the United States of America can go bankrupt is, does not understand economics. Because we have sovereign currencies and everything that we borrow is in dollars, we cannot go bankrupt. Now we can depreciate our money our money can become worthless, but we cannot go bankrupt. And it's likely, and also, since we are a producer country, since we make things, since we have the ability to make things and create things, look, don't let all that scare tactic get to you. We, we don't have the same problem Germany would have had back after the war or anything like that. Our problems are more, are, are, are more uh, what's the word that I want to use, administrative, okay? 
uh, we can we can spend right now and create all the jobs that we need. We can create all the products that we need. The problem is this: if we do it that way, we would get a more a, a cleaner distribution of of our income and wealth. And to the powers that be, that's not what they want. So they try to tell you things like you will go bankrupt. I wish I could. I'm you know I, I wish I could find a way to convince people not to buy into the drama. Notice that whenever there's a war, whenever we have to go drop bombs, we never ever consider that we could possibly go bankrupt from having to create all that other stuff. We can create as much stuff for war, but we cannot create as much stuff for people at home. It is the same stuff. Think about it. It's the same stuff. It's just one is used for war that blows stuff up and enrich just a few. While if we did that here at home, it would enrich the many, but it will force also the wealthy to take a smaller cut. I can go into some details about that, but let me just give an example. When we spend a lot of money in Iraq to feed those soldiers, we bring in a lot of people from the Middle East and from India and all of that to feed them, to, to do the work to feed them. We buy cheap food. But if we're doing things here, the dynamics, the financials look a bit different. So don't, don't buy into it. America cannot go bankrupt because we have our own money and all our borrowing is done with our own money. Now, if we were having to pay back somebody in pounds and lira, well, lira is not there anymore, in pounds and euros and all of that, but America doesn't borrow in that. We borrow, we work in dollars. And who create dollars? We do. So it's a lie. America is a special country. MMT indicates our economy has about $500 billion of slack in our economy. Yeah, it, it was about $800 billion a few years ago. I didn't know it dropped to $500 billion, but think about what we can do there. But um, thanks for finding that out. Uh, uh, I did. Let's see. U.S. can run deficit much bigger than one trillion. Keith Kelton says, "I love Kelton. I tried to get her on the show, but I didn't get a response to the invitation that I gave. I'm going to. I'm going to try again because she gives a very good interview as far as um, uh, money MMT is concerned. Anyhow, folks, welcome aboard. Politics done right. What is our program going to be about today? We got a great program." Check this out. Let's see what we're going to talk about. Here's what we're going to talk about, and that's a page. Progressives take Democratic Party in Nevada. Natalia Cornelio from grassroots lawyer to the bench. From grassroots lawyer to the bench. I love this young lady. This young lady has been active in the community, and she has done a lot of work, and now she sits on the criminal justice system, the bench, the five, uh, which one is she's? I forgot the number. We'll talk about it when we get to it. Also, progressives took over the party in Nevada. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? It's a good thing. Unfortunately, that is not how the people in Nevada behave. But anyhow, let me start by playing a, a young activist who was out there in Nevada campaigning for uh, for Bernie when Bernie won in a landslide. I was out there in Nevada the last three days of that, the last four days of that, uh, that primary as well. And you would not imagine the vibrancy that you saw on the ground. You saw people power. You saw people engage. You saw people talking to people, not just to say, I want you to vote for me today. You saw people out there talking about making changes, people talking about what, the, what would an America that really cares about the middle class and care about 
giving, bringing up the poor, uh, growing, uh, making sure the poor does not stay poor, but bringing the poor into the middle class. I mean, we, we were having conversations in Spanish and English with constituents over and over again. And that is what it took uh, to, to get people's confidence to go vote. And that is what happened. And Bernie won in a landslide. The establishment got really scared. And that is when they all coalesced around brother, uh, brother um, Biden. Now, I don't know. I, I, you know I, I've, I've confessed that I think may, just maybe Biden was the only one that could have won based on how our political dynamics is. But the one thing I admire with Biden thus far is he went big with the $1.9 trillion budget, and it's a very, very progressive bill. So what I see is at the top a coalition of the Democratic Party towards progressives, which is a good thing. You know, we have progressives in the Democratic Party, and we have establishment types in the Democratic Party, and we're all going to live in the Democratic Party. So if you can set up structures to get along by, you know, by, you know, giving people what they want. And you know what progressives want? Progressives want to ensure that people get what they deserve. Not just, you know, we are not scared. By the way, if anybody wants to call in, that's a Zoom. You can either call in via Zoom or the telephone number on the screen. That's 346-248-7799. And the code to get in is 254-600-9091. Um, and there's a link if you want to come in via Zoom. But I want to play an excited, this, this young lady, I, I, I called up Daniel Cohen, the president of Indivisible Houston, and I said, hey, I need somebody to talk about the progressives' takeover of Nevada, preferably somebody in Nevada. But, you know, you know, we can also get somebody who's been to Nevada. I've been to Nevada, but I needed somebody to say something, right? Somebody that was young and active on the floor, on the ground. So we found Sandra Cisneros Peters. Check this out. Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Radamic Berto. Will is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of our show. We have a great person to speak with today, Sandra Cisneros Peters. She is in Nevada, and something special happened in Nevada. You know, before you start, we've been talking about this, Sandra, that if you want to make a change, you have to make a change from within and like a virus expands. So Sandra Cisneros Peters out of Nevada. First of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, so let me just clarify, I'm actually in Houston, and I went to work in Nevada for the Bernie campaign in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Correct. So, yeah. <laughs> so tell me what happened in Nevada. Um, so, I mean, we all saw the videos in 16, the aggression that the party insiders had towards progressives and Bernie Kraft. Um, and so we really saw like the building, like the winds that we saw, like we just heard about, like that has been building since back then, like DFAers have been on the ground, like building all kinds of like, you know, support of like multi, like pronged. It was beautiful to see. Now, uh, so I think what happened in Nevada was that we had a takeover of the entire state party system by progressives is that correct uh-huh yeah they won the what there was five or six elections and they right. won all of them they swept it and now they're in full control of the party yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful right like this yeah is what i mean working towards. i mean for a long time we've been saying that you know i mean people have been wondering whether they should work 
whether progressives should work within the Democratic Party, outside of the Democratic Party. But since there is a structure already there, mm -hmm. it seems like uh, just like, let's say, the Tea Party worked hard to get their influence within the Republican Party, progressives needed to do the same thing for to pass people-centric policies, don't you think? No, I agree. I mean, I understand people's um, like hesitation to work within a party that we know is really antagonistic towards us, uh, but it's there and it's not going away. So why don't we put ourselves in those positions, right? Like, that's just the way I see it. Oh, absolutely. So, and um, so when you went over there, I was in Nevada as well when when Bernie won. I was a Bernie. Um, uh, I I I worked in the Spanish community, in the Latin community for Bernie out there for I don't know for probably three four days when that uh -huh. big push was on, and we went to that bar and watched as the returns came in, and it was like a real progressive win by a landslide in a Western state. It was, yeah. it was a blast. Were you there for that as well or? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was there, I believe I started like the very, the beginning of February right. up until like the winds. Yeah, yeah. Up until the wind. But, and you could feel it. Like you could see all the work that was being done on the ground. Like it wasn't just, you know, get out the vote work. Like, like we weren't there to just tell people, oh, you have to vote for this candidate because we know better than you. It's like, no were like people were explaining like this is you know what we're fighting for and you should join us <laughs> and you you felt it like I saw um like DSAers on the ground were like hitting the strip and like they were labor uh organizing so it was yeah it was amazing and, you know, I think that is something for actually the, the party in general to learn, because if you take a look at the 81 million people who voted for Biden in this election, you don't get 81 million people when Hillary only got 67 or so. You don't get that huge increase if you didn't have all these people on the ground really saying, hey, we're going to make things happen for you this time. So please come out and vote. And the fact that you get that turn in Nevada and like you said, I remember being there as well. It was a different scenario. People were actually not just saying, we are here for the vote. It was, we are here to organize, just like you guys have been doing for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where the power is built. Like, we are, we are so powerful when we, when we get together because we're all going through, like, some of the same types of struggles. So it's just about, you know, getting together and, like, pushing back. And you know what? Uh, a very good job is being done and I, I i have you know i'm a i'm a member of just about all these different progressive organizations as well including dsa and mm -hmm. I, I i must say that uh what i saw uh here even here in houston i saw okay. dsa all over every neighborhood whether it be latino neighborhood whether it, like i said they were in the barrios they were in the ghettos they were in in the appalachian parts of uh, of houston as well so <laughs> you know what i'm talking about i mean so it was great seeing performance and i think nevada should give every part of the of every party a pause because that is what we call people power not establishment power but people power give me your final thoughts uh that was just really good news <laughs> waking up to read that i was i wasn't surprised because we know like all the work that they've been doing so it's not a surprise that they're seeing these ones 
but it was still oh made it makes your heart like <laughs> grow bigger <laughs> well let me tell you folks we're speaking to sandra cisneros peters a progressive activist here in houston who played a big part of the bernie sanders win in nevada and i i needed to speak who was in Nevada when this all started and now the progressives are in charge of the party in Nevada. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics and Right. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Hey, I appreciate it, man. I, I, needed, I needed somebody to... Anyway, <laughs> that was Sandra Cisneros. I mean, uh, she was fun, uh, fun, fun talking to even after the, uh, after the program. Anyway, folks... Um, so what else do we have to talk about beforehand? I want to I want to show a piece by uh, Jake Tapper and Raditz because uh, it, I am still sort of upset with uh, with how Mansion is dealing in currently. Now we have to stay with Mansion. We don't have a choice. You know, for those people who want to just dump on Mansion, I say be careful. But it just irks me. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. CNN's Jake Tapper and ABC's um, Martha Radex asked Joe Manchin the appropriate questions. But most importantly, that sort of question about the West Virginians. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. After changes that you pushed for, enhanced federal unemployment benefits now expire about a month earlier. And there's a new income cap for writing them off on your taxes. I have to say, you represent one of the lowest income states in the nation. Why were you fighting for less help for citizens during this cruel economic time? All I did was try to make sure that we were targeting where the help was needed. Right now, we're getting $300 to people who are unemployed by no fault of their own. I am targeting it. So what I did, I'm, I've targeted it by reducing it from $400 a month to $300 a month to the senator of a whole state that is doing horrendously badly with the amount of money their people make. They're in, they are a poor state. Why not try to get more money into your state from this $1.9 trillion budget? Who is he fighting for? Who is he fighting for? Well, Martha Raddatz did it a bit better than Joe than, 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 uh, Tapper in a little bit. Let's, let's take a look at how she handled that. Senator, you brought the Senate to a standstill for 10 hours on Friday, threatened to side with Republicans, and did not budge until a call from the president and significant concessions were made. In the end, you got $300 a month instead of $400 for benefits. So in this pandemic economy, you don't think people need more money? Uh, I didn't do anything intentionally whatsoever. I did everything I could to bring us together so we'd have more support and the public would get the needed help that's needed. Uh, we have so many different ways that we're helping the public with this piece of legislation. It's not that I don't think. I think that basically what would have happened, going from 300 to 400, there's going to be a glitch where people are going to go without unemployment checks for a while. 300 is kept systematically and kept a smooth transition through there. I always try to work with my Democrat colleagues, my caucus, and my Republican friends. And there was an awful lot of input for over a last month. We, Senator, we know you are all about bipartisanship, but President Biden did not get a single Republican vote for a relief package in the middle of a pandemic. So at this point, doesn't bipartisanship seem like a false hope? 
Not at all, Martha. The first group of people that President Biden brought to the White House was 10 of my friends and colleagues, 10 Republicans, to see what their idea was. He, they came out with a proposal. He thought we needed to do a lot more, which that is his prerogative, and I support him with that. But with that, we had an awful lot of input from Republican friends all through this process. A lot of the changes that we made that were basically brought into this process came by working with my Republican and Democrat colleagues together. You know, Political wrote that your outsized influence has cast its shadow over the Senate since the day the Democrats captured their 50-50 majority. They're talking about this. They're talking about minimum wage, cabinet appointments. If they're not getting bipartisan support, which they aren't, no matter how many meetings they have, do the Democrats now have to cater to Joe Manchin's agenda? Not at all. No, I didn't, I didn't lobby for this position. I've never changed, Martha. I'm the same person I have been all my life. I look for that moderate middle, the common sense that comes with the moderate middle is who I am. That's what people expect. My state of West Virginia, they know me. You've got to work a little bit harder when we have this toxic atmosphere and the divisions that we have and the tribal mentality, Martha, that's not to be acceptable. You've got to work hard and fight that. I always want that moderate middle to be able to work, and that's where you govern from. That's where you run your life from. First of all, have you noticed how he tried to clean up the 300 from 400 to $300? I'm giving you less money over several weeks just so that the system will work fine. The system is kind of calibrated for $300 now. And if we put it up to $400, you may go a few weeks when they make this adjustment. That's bull. They can do that. I am a software guy. I write software. They can do that with one parameter change. But the next thing is that how naive can this guy be? He's not naive. He knows what he's doing. If we, if we go from the incept from Reagan, from Reagan right back up, whenever Democrats pass bills, they are liable to get zero Republican support or simply nominal Republican support. The converse is not true in the aggregate. The converse is definitely not true in the aggregate. So what is Manchin talking about? Some false bipartisanship that we are going to be able to talk these guys and convince these guys to come and vote with us. No, they are making a categorical statement. They have no intentions in supporting any policy that has a Republican stamp on it. What they want you to do is capitulate to them so that they can say, well, we supported this bill because the Democrats did what we told them to do. And it is only that reason that we voted for it. In effect, what we have is a Republican bill. Because even under Obamacare, Obamacare had its foundational roots in the Heritage Foundation. And even that they didn't support. They changed their modal as soon as Obama adopted a conservative uh, health care plan that he couldn't even get them to vote for that. Now, look, this is partisan, yes, but it's deeper than partisan. And Joe Manchin is not playing into the game. Joe Manchin is playing likely for survival in West Virginia, just like his governor, uh, our Democratic governor, who still has Democratic values, who's still saying, pass this $1.9 trillion no matter what, but became a Republican because so far uh, we have not made the effort to go into West Virginia as Democrats appeal to their better values. We haven't yet done that. And he's just thinking about 
self-preservation. Instead of saying, I am going to take this one for America. And if for some reason I don't get reelected, now I think he would get reelected because people would be doing much better. If for some reason I don't get reelected, at least I have done the right thing. It's not like he needs the money. He just wants to have the power. Absolutely so. Um, and Norman gets it right. The common sense. Uh, we had eight years with Obama's presidency. Doing the same thing over and over is insanity. The one thing Biden has not done the same with Obama, he didn't play into the game. He started big and he stayed big. He started bigger and he stayed bigger. Think, think about it. Uh, think about what's in that bill. A lot of people have not seen that this bill is as transformative as it is, and it does some magic as well. It gave people the types of policies that we should have that is going to be hard to take away. And that's what people don't understand. We should we shouldn't have to be fighting for something like uh, um, child care. Every Western country of consequence have some sort of child care. We tell you go fend for yourself as capitalism eats all your money. I want you guys to understand that Asking for what's due you is not asking for anything unwarranted to you. It's, a, it's amazing that uh, we have been so indoctrinated into the belief that we are not worthy. In as much as everything that the wealthy has can be attributed to us all, the masses. They couldn't make it without us. They are sim- the, the parasites really are they. They are the parasites. Bill Gates, nice guy. I love Bill Gates. He's simply following the system. But Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, and them all, they are all parasites by definition. If you define what a parasite is, that's what they are. Jeff Bezos make a little cut off of everything he sells that somebody else created. And I'm not talking about the shipping cost or that. I'm saying he's making a part of everything shipped out. Isn't that what a parasite does? Live off, live, off the peop- live off that which is created? You see, we were indoctrinated into believing that these guys are so smart. Anytime you hear somebody say, oh, I let my money work for me. Your money can't work for you. Understand that we have created a concept. We have created an economic system that allows you to say that. I let my money work for me. I'm smart. In effect, you're saying... I am smart. I am allowing others to work for me while I take advantage of the spoils. People don't get it because that's not what we were taught. We make our money work for us, right? But understand what it means when your money works for you. Understand what it really means. I'm not talking about interest in a past book. That is okay, right? I mean, if you put your money in a... The the old-fashioned way was cool, right? You put your money in the bank... The bank loans your money out to somebody else. Somebody else goes ahead and pays a little bit of interest to use that money, and you get a little piece. That's fine, right? That is fine because everybody benefits. I sell my books through Amazon, and Bezos gets a big part of my book. But you know, that's what happens when you have monopolies. There are people that wouldn't go to uh, politicsdoneright.com slash store to buy my book but they will go to po- amazon.com to buy their books don't ask me what the, f- what the scenario is I tell them straight up if you buy your book from me you cut out the middle person 
and I can have less advertising on my sites. I can do, I mean, but, you know, our psyche is such that we give honor and umbrage to those who do the least, but gives them, give, the, give the, the mantra or give us the, the belief that they're doing. You know who I have faith in? Y'all. Because you're the ones who make the system work. They don't tell you that. Anyhow, folks, since you brought up the book, folks, please, if you want to get my book, here is the Amazon link for my book. Uh, it's, as, uh, it's worth it how to talk to your right-wing relatives, friends, and neighbors. And really do that. We can't win and get real policies with 50 plus 1. We have to do much better than that. We have to bring those into the fold, all of those who we are really, really working for. And my thing is, don't get mad with your right-wing friends, neighbors, and families. My thing is, engage them. Listen to them. Listen to their fears and talk to them. You're, what you're going to find out is that they kind of care about the same things you do. But they're informed by other sources, generally misleading sources. And if you can earn their trust many times, not all the times, but many times, you can succeed. If you want to cut out the middleman, I'm going to try it here again. I'm going to try to, to get folks to my store. If you want to cut out the middleman, go to politicsunright.com store, and you can get the book directly from me. I'll sign it. I'll also include a bumper sticker and all that good stuff in there when I ship it to you directly, plus my sign signature. Much more than you're going to get from just getting it on Amazon. Uh, if you're on YouTube, please go ahead and click the Join button if you see that to become a part of our YouTube posse, as indicated by our good, uh, our good, good person who's always a part of our posse, which is Bridge MCP. Bridge MCP designed our cup for us, and uh, two people so far decided that yeah, I can send you a picture, Egberto. And so there is uh, that. If you go to politicsandright.com/slash/youtube. You can become a member of our posse, so please do that if you are able to do so. Please, we ask you so kindly. And you can get our mug that was designed by one of our own members. In fact, it has a little sign by her underneath uh, that you can get the mug right at our store. So anyhow, folks, uh, you can also support us via Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon, politicsandright.com slash Patreon. Or via PayPal, which is politicsandright.com slash PayPal. Hey, Bridge MCP just made it in just as we are announcing her stuff. Anyway, um, let's get back to the program. I just have to, I have to ask every show for your support, new people for your support, because that is the only way we can make it. Okay, right now I want to introduce you guys to Natalia Cornelio. She's been with us before. She's a grassroots lawyer who's helped a lot, a lot, a lot of people. She stayed in her neighborhood, and she became a judge. She was elected judge here in Texas. I love this young lady. She goes out there, and she works, and her ceremony, you know when somebody is loved, her ceremony was beautiful when she was uh, in the, uh, investiture into the bench. So let's go ahead and listen to her, and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today we have a very special guest. This is the third or fourth time she's going to be with us. But one of the most important things, folks, is that she makes grassroots mean something. And you know what we've seen? We've seen it paid off. Natalia, 
Cornelio, best known as Nata, judge from 351st, the 351st District Court. How are you doing today, Natalia? Or um, I need to change that. How are you doing, Judge Cornelio? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. How are you, Igberto? I am doing fine. Just before we get started, I just want to tell you how proud I am to see that one of the hardest working activist lawyers in uh, in Houston has now become a judge, one of the, you know, somebody who's going to really make a difference in our society here in Houston. How are you doing today? Otherwise, I know you're probably tired from all the getting together. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a little tired from the work. It's a ton of work, the job, which I expected um, and I'm grateful for. There's so much to do and I, I give it my all. So that's why I did this. Um, my husband is like, I thought that after the campaign, it was going to be less busy. And I was like, no, baby, um, it's going to be more busy until we get a good system and maybe even for the whole time. So, <laughs> well, but we're good. What is interesting is I read some stuff that some messages that you put out there that you pointed out that your your court is actually overstressed. I mean, there you just have thousands of cases that you have to take care of. It's true. Um, my court has at least 2,700 cases and, you know, hundreds of cases that are set for trial. So one of my priorities, which came from when I was a lawyer and when I ran and before I became a judge is knowing how important access to the courts is, right? We don't trust a system that doesn't give people meaningful access to it. It's a, such a challenge to balance that really important priority with the sheer quantity. So, you know, for example, I have almost 400 cases set for trial. I'm just one person, one court. If we were to do one trial a day with no weekends, with no holidays, and it would only take one day to do a trial, which is usually takes more than a day to do a felony trial, we wouldn't be done in a year. And there's still 2,300 cases to, wow. to dispose of and, and take care of. So. It's a, it's a really big challenge. I think one of the big um, requests that's gonna come out of this, that's been coming out of this is, is for more courts. And I know that it's always dangerous to expand the infrastructure without expanding alternatives. Um, and so hopefully that could be done in unison. And, and as we expand the courts, we also expand you know, diversionary programs and resources available for mental illness and for drug addiction and for other addiction and for families who are, you know, dealing with violence and doing violence intervention programs. I mean, we really need all of it to be able to get a grasp on the sheer quantity of cases that are coming through our criminal justice system right now. Now, you, are in a crim you, you run a criminal court, is that correct? Yes, it's a felony criminal court in, that serves all of Harris County. Okay, now what I don't understand, and I think most people don't, and I know this sort of reflected around the country as well. What's the structure of the court system? I know there are felonies. I know there are there are, there are, there are misdemeanor courts. I know there are, there are municipal courts. There are also state courts, and then there are federal courts. Can you give us a breakdown? What we try to do here at Politics Done Right is to educate our people as far as how this system works, because people are just confused. That's fair. Um, yes, on the sort of most local scale, there are city courts, municipal courts, as well as justice of the peace courts. These handle class C misdemeanors, traffic offenses, ordinances that are promoted by, passed by the city or by the county. 
um, you know, and it'll handle a little bit of criminal, a little bit of civil, but it's more about the locality of it, low, lower level, close to home, ordinance based. And then there are county courts, which are divided into probate courts, as well as uh, civil courts, as well as criminal courts. And the county criminal courts handle misdemeanors. And the county civil courts handle, you know, small claims and other smaller level disputes. Then there are state level courts. And there's, there's a, the trial level, which is like the first court that you'll have access to is the district courts. And the state divides the district courts into family courts, into juvenile courts, into civil courts, and into criminal courts. So the criminal courts handle felonies, the civil courts handle civil disputes, the family courts handle family court issues like you know, divorces and other custodial issues. And the juvenile courts will handle juvenile criminal charges as well as CPS cases. Um, and then you know, there's appellate courts which handle all of the below. And then there's Supreme Courts, which is one is civil and one is criminal. And that's our state court system. There's district appeal and Supreme slash criminal Supreme, which is called Court of Criminal Appeals. And then the federal system is an entirely different track, which handles federal statute-based litigation as well as um, federal crimes. And they're, you know, basically the courts, district and magistrate, appellate and Supreme. And it's just a question of, is it a federal law or is it a local law? So people think federal crimes means more serious, but it doesn't. It could mean crime on a reservation. It could mean crime on federal land. It could mean, you know, and, it, and it's a lot of interstate commerce, which triggers federal jurisdiction, which is, you know, traveling across state lines or drugs are considered to have federal jurisdiction because demand for drugs is a national phenomenon. Um, and so there's, it's sort of, it's hard to get your hand head around it. And I wonder if my explanation was even helpful actually, to anybody. No, actually, I learned a lot. I, I think I understand it. I mean, I, I, first of all, you, you gave the leveling of the federal courts. You gave the leveling of the state courts. Anyhow, Natalia, let me, or Judge Cornelio. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can call me Natalia. I, well, you know, since this is sort of a formal interview, I, I, I like to go, go appropriately with the judge. Um, uh, let me ask you this, Judge. Um, you started out as a lawyer, uh, and you've been on MSNBC and all these things, working for the people. So you you have a an intrinsic feeling as far as what needs to be done out there in the community. We don't have a lot of judges that are that way. Many of the judges are Ivy League guys, or and mostly guys. Ivy League and, you know, they don't really share anything with what's happening in the community with the people that are coming to them. How can we best get more people like you on the bench? Oh, I mean, you know, I think that with every generation we, we plant, we pay it forward. We need people like me to pay it forward and, you know, be involved in bringing up the youth to be more involved. The thing about the legal profession, Igberto, is that lawyers, it's not that we don't have the best personality, but you know, we sort of get drawn to our profession. We can get really good at the job, but it's really, it's a niche. Like we like reading, we wanna apply these rules to these facts. And it's a very different skill from interacting with people. 
And it's a very different skill from, you know, even some of the frustration I experience as a criminal judge is that these lawyers are excellent lawyers and they can litigate the question of guilt or innocence. But when it comes to resources that their clients might need, this is not all of them, but you know, some of them, they just, it's not their strength to be a social worker to someone who is really suffering. Um, they know the law back and right. And they, they, they're the lawyer you want when you, when you really need a, def a legal defense, but when you, know, you need a home or uh, to figure out your correct prescription for psychotropic medication or to figure out you know, what a plan is, this is another specialty that we don't have healthy relationships to build intersectionality and ensure that lawyers are supported to not just, you know, to know where to find non-legal resources and to have the sort of patience and space to explore them and recognize that that's also important. So I think just teaching that and building that, we have a long way to go. Um, I get frustrated every day by the limitedness of mental health resource and addiction resources and housing resources, you know, for people that come through the system, we really need to build that out and, and familiarize everyone who's involved with what the resources are. Well, as a judge of the 351st, as somebody, I mean, who acted it from acted on this from the side of being a lawyer, now from the side of being a judge, and also, I, I still remain that once an activist, always an activist. Um, I think it is important that um, your message gets out there, that people understand that, you know, I, I think the, the message has a lot more weight. Uh, when, you were, uh, a, when you were a lawyer uh, and you make certain kinds of complaints uh, about the jurisprudence, the judicial system, uh, it would be taken like, well, she's a defense lawyer. What is she going to say? Now you're on the bench. You have experience as far as how things work. That's a hell of a platform, uh, assuming that one does not uh, get the, the air of the bench where, well, now you're, a, now you're the queen, you know? Uh, uh, but you know what I'm saying. You're no, I do. It's a tremendous, it's a responsibility, you know? And I, I, I take it with as much humility as possible, but... Um, it, it's a responsibility if people listen to you because you have a certain role then you know it's a big responsibility so i i embrace the responsibility and you know can do my can only do my best and i know that i'll get better at it i know that in a year i'm going to be like wow when i was a one month judge i can't believe it like how little i knew compared to what i know now and it doesn't mean i mean i think it's incredible that I can do the job, I, I, I surprised myself almost. I mean, I didn't, I knew that I could do it, but I didn't know what it was gonna be like. And you know, that I, I feel competent and I trust the questions that I'm asking and the information that I'm getting before making decisions, but I know that it'll just get better and better. And you know, I, I do take the responsibility of my role very seriously on the bench and off the bench. Well, you know, um, I, I, I don't think any of us who know you had any doubt I watch a lot of your, um, you know, when your acceptance of your certification or whatever it is that that is called, and, you know, it, it, it continues to draw one because it is like, uh, it's, it's more than humility, it's about the dedication of service. I mean, one can be humble and still not show that they're going to be in service to you, right? There, 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 there's some intersectionality between humbleness and service, but it's not. They, they can also be 
mutually exclusive. And I watched, you know, I, I, I started to watch your thing and then I watched all of the, the support that you got from the community with all the people that are there to, you know, you're, uh, come on, you're a, you, I mean, judge is important. It, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's not like the sexiest political position. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's true. And when I saw the support that you, you've gotten from the community, people like, uh, now I'll use the term, Nata, Nata is doing it. Nata <laughs> is doing it. It was like, wow. That's the kind of judge I would love to see throughout not only Harris County, not only Texas, but throughout the country, because it seemed to me like a lot of the problems that we have, both socioeconomically and criminal, judicial, whatever, we would be able to get over that if we had people with that kind of a mantra on them. Your thoughts? Well, and thank you for saying that. That's really sweet. I'm so grateful for your support and that you even watched the investiture ceremony. But I, I think it, the point that we've been talking about since we met which is that representation matters and my community part of the reason that I did my investor ceremony the way that I did is because almost everyone I know except for my fellow judges and lawyers have never been to an investiture and frankly I hadn't gone to one for until like a year before my election when my colleague got elected Genesis Draper who swore me in you know and that was my, my, my second one. My other one was like one month before where my other colleague had gotten elected. And my mom, I asked her to speak and she's like, I had to look up investiture. I, I didn't know what it was and I realized it's a big deal. And so part of it is, you know, this is important because my, my people know that we don't know, we, we don't have judges or anything that's sexier. We don't have city council people. We don't, they never answer our calls. You know, we don't have, state reps in our community we don't we don't have that kind of access and so I think it's just really special for people to know somebody um, who's gotten recognition and is able to do work and, and represent in the process so I'm doing my best yeah I, I, you're, you're doing great now how many people work in your office I mean in other words how many people do you have with all that work that you have how how are you structured so I have a staff, I personally have a staff of two people, which is my court reporter and my coordinator who coordinates my schedule and the docket and appoints lawyers to people. I mean, she has so much to do and bless her because, so then we have, let, let me get finished. We have two bailiffs in the courtroom. We have uh, clerks, two clerks in the courtroom that help make sure that the information is recorded. And we have a probation officer in the room um, when, we during the freeze you know i everybody had pretty much everybody lost power but i was worried about people who were being newly arrested and having access to court and you know case cases that needed attention and so i was trying to do my best to make sure that we could be available for emergencies and then once i had power you know that we can get some folks in the jail to come see me and get some lawyers there and have have hearings and basically do court but my coordinator to help me do this, she lost power and she had nowhere to go with her four children. She was in her car using her car's hotspot to make this. And so, you know, I just, I want to shout wow. out to her and the staff, you know, sheriff's office got this like backup courtroom that had Zoom so that defendants who were in jail could come to court. I mean, really, I put the intention out there and asked for it, but people worked really hard to make it possible. So um, it's a very small staff, but they know that they know what I care about. 
and they've been really patient with me and gracious with me and gracious to the community to try to make it happen. How many judges did that? <laughs> I think everybody did, you know, everybody did their best. And uh, I know, you know, Judge Martinez, my other Latina who got uh -huh. elected with me, you know, she had court every day. Uh, she didn't lose power. And so she she made sure that every day she saw anybody who was in new arrest, who was in jail. Did she did it from uh, home at Zoom as well or? She did. She did. So the Zoom, you know, because of the pandemic, we actually had some infrastructure to be able to respond. And I think that that's the cargo, you know, we need to take everything, all the blessings with all the sort of tragedy and, and use what we have built in order to be able to respond to emergencies to make it better the next time. And it was hard because people didn't have power, but to the extent that we could make adjustments, you know, people were able to have access to the courts even in that week during the freeze where the judges wanted it because people were willing to step up. Wow, that is great. That That is great to know. Now, Natalia, as far as um, what you want to see going forward, in other words, um, you, you got to the you got to the la meta okay so now what do you want to what do you want to do what stamp do you want to make on the 351st Ooh. um you know well first I, I i i want it to be smooth right i want anybody that comes in there to be like and that court was everything was smooth but also everybody was very respectful, was very nice. And I felt heard. Like, even if I didn't get what I wanted, I felt heard and that was fair. And that makes me have confidence in the system. So, you know, we're tweaking it and our processes and our procedures and our access to make sure that folks can have that experience. It's not as easy with a 2700 case docket to make it smooth for everyone. There's lots of moving pieces, but that's absolutely a goal and to be a model in that regard and to set standards of respect um, and decency and effectiveness and representation on both sides to make sure people have confidence in the system. And then just to be a court that's accessible to the public, you know, we've been live streaming when COVID required our in-person to shut down. We don't let people into the building on the same scale that we used to. And so we, we live stream court. So anybody can watch it because the courts are for the public. Open courts is a fundamental, you know, right and protection. And then once things get a little bit less restrictive, you know, to invite groups in, invite schools in, talk a little bit more about how it's going and what it is so that folks can learn the questions that you have. This is what our court does. You know, this is how it works. Do you want to be a lawyer? Do you want to be a judge? What, you know, make sure that you serve on the jury when you get summonsed. Um, instead of trying to dodge it, this is why it's really important and be able to promote the civic engagement and the li lifting up of youth as a court. You know, Marilyn Burgess is doing some important work right now in trying to get the jury system to be more, uh, to look more like what Houston looks like. So um, uh, we just have a whole lot of good people running in this thing. But folks, let me tell you, you hear us talk a lot about activism. You hear us talk a lot about work in the fields to bring the right people to the job. You hear us talk about grassroots. This is what grassroots success look like. We put people into power who really earned it, who really worked for it, 
and who are really making it beneficial for us all. That is what it's like. We, it, what we talk about is not pie in the sky or anything like that. It's about making sure that we put the people there who are there to serve and who we are there to help serve. Natalia Cornelio represents that. She represents that. So, Judge uh, Cornelio, um, I always ask this as my last question, and that is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? Ooh. Um, I don't know. What are you reading? <laughs> like, it, it's a green screen. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think just, you know, um, it's a great question. I guess, you know, I welcome your listeners to, to get involved, to reach out to me. Our website is active. You can contact me through the website, nataliacornelio.com. You can watch our investiture if you've never seen an investiture before. Um, the link is available on the website, but it's nataliacornelio.com slash investiture dash ceremony. And I would love for the community, you know, to be a part of that ceremony that I'm really proud of having work to do. And um, I'm trying to read books. It's really hard. I'm very busy. So I've even done some audio listening, but um, I'm trying to read books so that I can stay grounded and empathetic and not become too focused in just my work without get, keeping perspective outside. Judge Natalia Cornelio, you're doing a great job of it. Um, you know, we are very proud that uh, you lograste la meta. You got to the goal. You, 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 you did it. So um, thank you very much for having given Politics Done Right this interview. And please keep up doing the great work that you've always done, that you're doing, and that we know you're going to continue to do. Thank you for having me on the show. I love being on and anytime, you know, hopefully we'll have a different story to tell in a year, you know, as far as how it's going and how COVID changed things and how we're surviving with that backlog that we're going to have to start actually doing trials for. So I would love to keep visiting with you. Judge Natalia Cornelio, open door for you any day. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Egberto. We, uh, let me tell you, that is one of the hardest working lawyers, judges, anything that I can tell you. And um, that, I mean, I think we all should be lifting up people like Natalia Cornelio. They, they you know, uh, she's earned that position as a judge. And when I talk about somebody who really loves uh, people, loves her community, she didn't move from her community. She really represents what all of us should want in a judge. Anyhow, thank you guys for being here. Dog broke dog. What does that mean? Dog, dog broke dog. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, let's see. Nanette Bird Smith, tax or tech 778, Bridge MCP. Carl Cox is Egberto. Tell all your listeners to fire and replace Postmaster General. My bill payments are being delayed by the USPS. You are correct, Carl Cox. You are right. Folks, Biden has already started the process with the governors that he's just uh, placed uh, that will get approved. And his, his days are numbers. Bridge, uh, wide awake. Wide awake. Thank you so kindly for becoming a new member of the PDR Posse. Join him and go ahead, folks, and hit that uh, join button or go ahead and go to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Hey, uh, look, um, 
you guys make who we are. Let me just tell you that uh, broke as a dog. <laughs> You're broke as a dog. That's funny. That's funny, brother. That's funny. Okay, uh, that is very funny the way you said that. Anyhow, um, Julie Van Ostel, thank you for showing up anyway. And yes, we always have our stuff there that you can get at the show. In fact, most of the people watch it after the fact. Although I want to get more live listeners, we'll do that eventually. Julie Henderson, Julie Van Ostel, Wide Awake, uh, Michael Rudnin, uh, let's see who else um, is here, uh, Eric Hayes, no politics in judging, correct? You better bet it. She is a fair judge. She's not going to, I mean, you get into her court, she's real, man. She's real. Okay. Let's continue uh, saluting my dear brothers and sisters. Uh, Eric Hayes, I think I called you out. Uh, let's see. Norman Reynolds, mi hermano de Jamaica. Welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. Who else? Laureen Lindbergh. Welcome aboard. Thank you for being here. Uh, Lee Grant, my brother from another mother on the conservative side. Looks like Elvira. Stop it, Lee. Behave yourself. She's beautiful. All right. Uh, continuing, 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 continuing. Uh, let's see who else we've got here. Uh, Deborah John. L.A. says, I'm present. Yes, you are. And Bruce Pollard, my brother. How you doing, sir? Uh, Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Deb Denny, welcome aboard. Wilhelmina Perry, welcome aboard. AVQ. Welcome aboard. I love all you folks for coming and sticking and staying with us. Please remember to share. Uh, let's see. Second interview, best. Yeah, the first interview was, you know, I listen, I read the article and I, I, I wanted to reach somebody. And she, uh, uh, you know, it's my fault if uh, I didn't prepare her for the, anything because I just said, hey, Daniel, I need somebody to talk on Nevada. And I didn't want it to be just me spouting out what occurred in Nevada to you guys. I wanted you guys to... Here's somebody who had experience on the ground in Nevada, so I brought her in. So I, you know, I kind of cold called her to do the interview. To and it was, you know, believe it or not, that interview was just prepared five minutes after or five minutes before the show. But anyhow, folks, anyhow, folks, I thank you all for being here with me. Please remember, join the posse, and also remember, consider getting our book. It's worth it. How to talk to your right wing relatives, friends, and neighbors, and support us on Patreon, support us on PayPal, and just support us. Help us keep this thing going. Hey, I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willies. This is Politics Done Right. And you know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel. And number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.